As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my I'm friend? I'm doing Outstandingly, is that a word? Outstanding. I think you know. I'm trying to. It is. It is, it is now. now in Starkville. Starkville. It's in the Starkville yeah, dictionary. We're an engineer too long English, you know. So, uh, but yeah. yes, I um, I'm I'm always happy because I've been traveling, uh, and seeing old friends. So that's that never gets old, actually. And yeah, right. So all right. So you uh, you had quite a I week. Did. You were at Wrigley. You saw all kinds of wild Louis, stuff there. Yeah. Then 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 you were at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. White Sox Yankees. Yep. That attracted attention for all the wrong reasons, but we'll get into that both with you and our special guest this week, Jason Benetti. But first, you know, people love your travel stories. Uh, what are you going to remember from this week? And I, I just have a feeling it involved a statue. At yeah, I mean, no, I was there for Fergie Jenkins Statue Day, and uh, I it was cool because before they have a, you know, John Shelby talks a lot obvious shirts. They do a lot of work with ALS. And uh, I went to their store and I saw they had a Fergie Jenkins shirt. So I, it was like hot off the presses. So I bought this shirt to commemorate Fergie for when the, sta- the statue unveiling. And it was it was awesome to watch because, well, let alone the fans and the history and the speakers. But they also, they do a great job with those statues. They're, 
they're they're beautifully done. They show the ripples of the jersey. They look so real. And then they have these accents of blue for Chicago. I mean, they're gorgeous. So to see him and his family and and so many Hall of Famers from Sandberg and Kerry Wood was there and all these old friends. It was um it was you know so fitting for Fergie. He's one of the most generous people I know, and he was our pitching coach in '96. So that was um it, it was it was magical just the the way the fans just enjoyed his presence and how he uh, had given so much to that franchise. What a cool and classy man Ferguson Jenkins is, and yeah, you know, it was on uh, MLB Tonight on MLB Network on Friday, and we we made sure to take a, a, a minute to talk about what a career Fergie Jenkins had. Uh, this was a little tidbit I looked up, Doug. Fergie Jenkins joined the Cubs in 1966. He won 20 games six times. Everyone else who has pitched for the Cubs since 1966 combined has only won 20 games five times. Yeah. <laughs> so he's done it more than every other Cubs pitcher combined. Pretty good. And by the way, averaged over 300 innings a season during that time. So glad we, we got a moment here to pay our respects to Ferguson yeah. Jenkins. But now, listen, let's get to what happened Saturday at Yankee Stadium, uh, where the bench is cleared because of a really disturbing incident involving Josh Donaldson of the Yankees and Tim Anderson of the White Sox. And uh, Josh Donaldson has a history with the White Sox. Uh, he's an edgy player. He's an opinionated player. Uh, I think he's, it's safe to say he's a guy who often rubs the other team the wrong way. So when the benches first emptied on Saturday, I thought, and I, I think most people thought, that that's what this was about. Then we learned what actually happened, that he twice called Tim Anderson Jackie during this game, uh, which he said he did as a joke. He, was, he said he was referring to Tim Anderson's quotes from a 2019 Sports Illustrated story in which Tim said, Quote, I kind of feel like today's Jackie Robinson in the sense that he wanted to change the game and pave the way for players to show more emotion and have more fun. Except, obviously, Tim Anderson didn't take it as a joke. He took it as racist. Uh, Tony LaRusso called it a racist remark. MLB is investigating. Uh, Doug, you were in New York yeah. both Saturday and Sunday. What was your take? Yeah, it was, um, and I think we're going to continue to learn more in terms of context, but uh, there's no doubt when I saw Grandal stop Donaldson from getting in the batter's box that next at bat, I knew it was a little more than just like Donaldson, you know, like that was something that seemed much bigger than, okay, you know, we're back, because they probably would just hit him or something else, but he felt the need to say something to him and very specific, and, and it wasn't a short like, I'm cursing you out. It was very like, let me just tell you something. That's what I knew there was something more. I didn't know what. I knew that there was an incident at Anderson diving back to third and Donaldson, like, hard tag and all that. But um, I wasn't sure. And and Donaldson was calm in that moment. So it was hard to see where this would go. But clearly, Grandal was not happy. So then with all the post game, it, it sort of came to light. And, and I understood it. I think the thing that resonated with me for for me and with Tim Anderson was that there is a sense of you know okay calling someone Jackie in a vacuum could be like oh well what does that really mean but it is that feeling of 
not being able to own your space, your name, this feeling of, okay, you know, you have to be someone else. And I'm, and I'm going to sort of not, first of all, I'm not, I'm not even invited to call you by your name, by, by another name. Right. So, you know, that's always unusual. Like you might use, it's sort of like Liam Hendricks said, if I'm going to joke with someone and call it would be someone you're cool with, right? And you're not going to do that with someone you're kind of like enemies with or you have this really friction over. Um, it, it's like that you don't know me like that, right? You don't really know me that well. And clearly there was a, a lot of that. So within the, the sort of undertones of it is a feeling that Tim Anderson has gone through a lot through his life and, and that I have as well in, in my black experience, right? The questioning whether I'm, why I'm shoveling my own driveway or whatever it is by police, things like this always gives you the sense of, of frustration around, you know, Hey, I'm here, I'm an American or whatever. And I belong and I have a right to be here. And I, and I, by the way, I have a right to identify with Jackie Robinson directly because that's the only reason I even had a career, right? (laughs) He is the man that really broke the doors down for so many people and not just in baseball but other industries so most so many people who are black relate to jackie robinson and it's completely reasonable to make that connection about like opening these doors and 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 be use that as a motivator i have nothing no problem with tim anderson making that connection um and so yeah to kind of mockingly or even if you say it like oh hey jackie what's up jackie like okay if i didn't invite you there it's probably not a good place to go so um, so I think that, you know, it's important we have a chance to learn from this and it is nuanced and it's subtle and it's personal. So I hope that the league takes the time to open up more conversations on it. Cause I don't think it is simple. I think there's even Josh Donaldson, I'm sure he d- probably didn't even see the layers to this. Uh, but when you have this experience being black, you, you do know that you're very sensitive to you to these things because you know a lot of people call me eddie murphy whatever and it's not that that's an insult in and of itself even if you look like the person it's that why do you need to make me someone famous all the time to so that i'm so that i'm not seen as what this monolithic racialized person that's not you know good for society It, it, it just raises that question after a while when you hear it over and over again um and i and i think that many people did relate to that feeling even if it wasn't like directly what Donaldson was trying to evoke. Yeah. And uh, Josh Donaldson tried to intimate it was some kind of private joke that he had going with Tim Anderson, but there's, as you just alluded to, there's such an insensitivity to call him that name. Um, All right. One more thing quickly, and we'll bring in Jason Benetti for more perspective. Um, As we record this, um, we're kind of waiting on Major League Baseball. It's possible that by the time you listen to this, Major League Baseball will have weighed in on this matter. But I do want to know what you think Major League Baseball should do about this. It feels to me that regardless of what Josh Donaldson thinks his intent may have been, the sport needs to make it clear in some way. This is not something anyone should be joking about. So should that happen with a fine a suspension, a statement, or all of it, Bob yeah. Doug? I, 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 most importantly to me, it's education. And, and yeah, suspension is part. I'm not saying that would fix it, but I know they want to take some strong position. But I think it's most important that we discuss and, and learn from it from a lot of different perspectives. That, to me, is the key. All right, why don't we discuss this with a man who knows 
Tim Anderson as well as anybody we could possibly speak to today. All right, time to welcome in one of the most talented broadcasters in our sport. He's the voice of the White Sox on NBC Sports Chicago and the voice of Sunday morning baseball on Peacock. He is also returning to Starkville of his own volition for some reason. (laughs) It's Jason Benetti. Jason, welcome back. Thank you for making the return journey to Starkville. Thank you. My spatial ability is so bad that I just tend to go to the same places over and over again once I have the directions. So I'm going to end up in Starkville like 15 times because one of the one of the like five places I know I can get lunch. <laughs> okay, good. You know, the GPS does not recognize Starkville. So once you arrive, if you try to use GPS, you will never leave. Just warning you. I, I like that. The Hotel California, I feel like, is in Starkville. A lot of similarities. <laughs> so, J- Jason, we had Boog Shambi on here last week. Um, uh, we need to give equal time to the south and north sides of Chicago. Is, uh, isn't that some kind of FCC rule? It is, yeah. The uh, the fairness doctrine of Zoom, uh, which I think was just enacted a couple of years ago. So, yeah, that's um, that's where we are on the law. We, yeah, well, we, we're very law-abiding here. So the other thing we need to give equal time for um, Boog had to take a $646 Uber ride. Doug, did I get that right? $646? 649 We've been talking about it for a week. Uh, that was to get from St. Louis to Chicago. So I feel like we also need to give equal time to your travel schedule. If I'm computing this right, did a game Saturday in New York, <laughs> Sunday in Pittsburgh. Now you're in Chicago, right? So... Anything about your travel adventures that we need to know? Well, you know, like, again, we, we don't, we're not like doing heavy lifting for a career here. And I love traveling and I never want anybody to hear me talk about travel other than the story is hilarious. <laughs> like I would, what I'm about to say, I would much prefer to being in a studio. So well, I never check a bag like ever i hate checking a bag it tethers you to flights your flexibility is gone your clothes can disappear and end up (laughs) so my my deal is uh i had a 625 flight saturday night out of jfk um 625 is that right yeah 625 flight out of jfk so that means in order to be 45 minutes ahead with my bag because I checked a bag because I was on a long White Sox road trip, I'd have to be there by 5.40 or whatever the time was. So I had uh, scheduled uh, somebody to pick me up. I had, I had called somebody who's got a car and they're gonna come pick me up. And the game's three hours, 40 minutes on Saturday. So we're, we're pushing it a little bit. Like JFK is not close, we're pushing it a little bit. So no, the flight was 719. It was a 719 flight for a 105 game. There it is. So I have to be there by, you know, whatever is 635. So the, I, I call the guy, I'm looking for him. I'm like, I'm at 164th and Jerome. He's like, so am I, <laughs> my gate too. He goes, what are you looking at? I said, a parking garage. He goes, I'm looking at a parking lot. This is great. And I was like, but where are you? And we go for like 20 oh, minutes. Yeah. We're talking about this. And he literally, he goes, oh, no, I'm at 164th and Gerard. <laughs> so outside Yankee Stadium, it goes Gerard, River, Jerome. 
So I was at Jerome. I walk with my bags to the car and I'm looking at Waze and the ETA is 631. Oh, no. So like I got three minutes to play with once I get to JFK Terminal 4. The guy turns to me, he's like, I got you, I got you, I'll figure this out. We're halfway through, he turns to me and he says, I just gotta tell you, if you're gonna make this flight, I have to break the law. <laughs> Are you okay with me breaking the law? And I said, I'm not gonna answer that. And he said, I will take that as a yes. So then he started driving over double yellow lines and like carving cars. It was an amazing display of New York driverdom. And I, I was like, wow, this is actually going to happen. I, I had called to like see if there were <laughs> rental cars because like I might drive to Pittsburgh. And Dan Plesak evidently had a flight issue, ended up driving from Newark to the to Pittsburgh to do pregame for us. But I, I made it by two minutes and I got to the counter and the guy was like, you had 30 <laughs> seconds before they were going to close that flight. And we would have told you you couldn't oh get up. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. So I've, is... I've never had somebody turn to me and go, hey, you good with me breaking the law? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that means. That's way too, yeah, too vague, vague for me to condone yeah, can't it. condone it in broad strokes like that. No. No. <laughs> he was going to steal a plane to fly you there. Right, like right. I, there was like a Thomas Crown <laughs> affair situation. Like he was going to sell a very important piece of art and buy a plane. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you made it. Well, I, I once, I've told this story on this podcast before, but I once, uh, my car got locked in the parking garage at Yankee Stadium. I can see And it. they, it was, this is like, you know, two in the morning. And so they told me, security guys told me, yeah, you have to sit outside the garage till the sweeping crew comes. I said, when will that be? He said, I don't know, four, five, six, I don't know. So I sat out on 161st Street, 3rd Street, on whatever it was, until 4.45 a.m. Oh and you, you meet lots of interesting people oh, that sure. hour outside Yankee Stadium. Just telling you. So if it ever comes up, good place to meet people. I, I would suggest uh, 164th and Jerome <laughs> is a good place to park your car. I know the entire lay of the land. That's amazing. So the crew, the crew was like, I love that this guy, whoever told you that, had already figured out how to get somebody's yeah. car. So, like, you were not the first person to zap. No, he didn't set precedent. <laughs> Do not park at Yankee Stadium if you have to work. Okay? That's, that's my advice to you. But Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Wait, like we totally digress because unfortunately we need to turn serious. Um, D- Doug and I were just talking about what happened in New York on Saturday with Josh Donaldson and mm-hmm. Tim Anderson. And, you know, you know more about the history of all the stuff that's built up with Josh Donaldson and the White Sox than anyone. So I, I, this, is a, this is a tough turn to make, but what should people know as they try to process what went on there, Jason? Yeah, I mean, there are so many factors, right? And and you can easily say, Josh Donaldson said that, that makes him whatever you want to call it, right? It was it was inappropriate. Tim took it and and felt something, and that's what matters, right? That 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 was something that hit Tim Anderson in a way that made him feel lesser. And and I nobody should ever condone that. And it's ridiculous that we're doing that. But I will say, you know, I saw some, first of all, let me say this at the outset. I love Tim Anderson. I think he's a wonderful soul. I think he's great for baseball. And this is not a caveat. I just want to lay this out for people that don't know my relationship with Tim Anderson and what I think his relationship with the game of baseball is. Tim's a wonderful person who tries very hard to push baseball forward and to show who he is at all times in a land where it's good to subordinate your thoughts and feelings sometimes and definitely what makes you unique sometimes gets buried with intent where tim anderson hits me in the heart is i would say and i don't have a list of this but i would say that's not what happened is not even in one of the top 30 indignities that tim anderson has felt in his life and that's the sad part for me, that Tim has this series of moments where he has felt different or felt maybe unwanted, but felt definitely unique in a clubhouse in the wrong way. And the thing that really hits you is when he says, I wasn't bothering anybody mm-hmm. that day. Yeah. Like that, a person like Tim Anderson in the game of baseball should n- never feel like he, he has to say that he wasn't bothering somebody like to have to defend yourself against charges that you overreacted. I would challenge anybody and I have it in my own way as somebody with a disability, but I don't know what it's like to be a black man in America. I would challenge anybody to feel different every day and get reminded by the people who say, you know, he's athletic, but has a low baseball IQ. And we all know what that means. Right. You know, and I'm sure Tim's heard that. I would say when you have a series of indignities and things like that, the the reason situations like this are so hard is because you have somebody like Josh Donaldson who believes, and he said this, that he was making a crack about an inside joke. And you have Tim Anderson who has lived an entire life as a black man in a game that's dominated by white people. And so you end up with somebody like Tim who has the lifetime, uh, lifetime achievement award, uh, for having these things happen. And then you have one person saying, well, I only did it once. That obviously will create conflict in a lot of ways. And and I know Tim knows the feeling of, man, this all keeps happening. And it's the same thing over and over again. And that's why I don't even really wanna talk about Josh Donaldson when, when I get asked about this. 
it's all about Tim Anderson and the person he is. I mean, he's an upstanding member of the community who's a wonderful heart and he's a great father and he deals all the time with being different in a game that gets very uniform by definition. And so I don't like people at all who would ever say, whether on Twitter or in person, that he overreacted. To me, there's no such thing unless he put his hands on somebody. Yeah, well, Jay, I mean, in that, I think that insight, you know, you've uh, you know worked for the White Sox for a long time. You've gotten to see Tim Anderson grow as a player and as a person and really made him one of the best hitters in the game. When you look at some of these numbers, right, 325 batting average over the last four years, I don't. that's tops in Major League Baseball. <laughs> and in an era when there's, you know, walks or OBP or the, the juice standard of home runs or whatever it is, you, you lose sight of someone that has such great, you know, bat-to-ball skills, such great aptitude of, like, knowing what a pitcher's trying to do to him, the power to right field, all these things that um, that he's done at such a high level. So I'm curious to know what, you know, within the framework of this, him feeling like the type of player he is as opposed, you know, relative to the era we're in. Do you? How much do you think that also plays a role in sort of how he perceives himself as a player? Because, you know, it's a time of, you know, home runs and all these other things, and you forget about the Paul Molitor type style where a guy just can flat out hit. I think there I think there's some of that. I also think Tim Anderson has had enough home runs in big moments that I think some people who don't know his stats very well perceive him as a major power hitter. And he can be in this game. I'm not saying that he can't. But I do think, you know, it's funny. We watch all these games and we watch 162 with a team and we scan MLB TV. But the moments always stand out. And he had the Field of Dreams home run. And he had this home run against the Tigers that we still play in our open every day. It was about a week after the whole flap with Kansas City, maybe two weeks after the whole flap with Kansas City and Brad Keller. He homered in a massive comeback for the Sox. And you could see all the emotion come out of him, like basically to say, see, so there. Right. And then he had another one on Sunday Night Baseball where it's like, wow, he really rises to the moment. And you think about what's inside of that dude to even when things are the worst, be better. I mean, I had a conversation with him after another error that he had about a month ago. And he, he is, you know, he takes that and he says, look, I, he, he told me I'm terrible right now defensively. Like I'm, I'm really bad right now. And then we got into this conversation and the gist of the conversation, I don't remember the exact quote, but is this game reminds you at all times that you never have it figured out. And that's a cliche we hear all the time. But the next thing he said to me that's really interesting was he uses the bad moments as basically rocket fuel. They propel him and they're this reminder that he needs to do more. And the way he sort of synthesizes negative moments and turns it into high octane energy to rise again to something is uh, terrifyingly powerful. And he did it again Sunday night. Like these moments have happened enough that I don't think it's coincidental anymore. I think he actually processes negative energy into not only motivation, but action. And I think that is a, a, a terribly thrilling skill set to watch every day, but it comes directly from his heart. I mean, 
He had the tragedy of losing his friend in 2018 who was shot and killed. And he's had so much negative, you know, it's his father was in prison and they still, they have a great relationship now, but Tim's had a lot of hurt. And so I think when people see him react to something like this, they're like, well, you know, some people would say, here he goes again. Tim Anderson every day deals with stuff. And his reaction to this suggested to me that something beyond that happened. And then we find out it's something that's intertwined with racism. And, and you know, the, the word calling somebody a racist is, is, is something that, that puts a scarlet letter on someone. And I, I'm, I just, I'm not on the field. I didn't feel it. So I'm, and I, as a white person, I don't think I'm allowed to say who and who isn't. And Tim didn't use the word Tony did. So I'm going to defer to them on that, but it's certainly intertwined with racism. And to me, Tim Anderson responds to things like that in, in a large way because he knows he's different in a game that has not really developed that, um, that type of talent very well at all. Yeah. And I, well, I think Jay, the, um, I think one thing about, you know, what's in a name, right. I, I kind of always thought about that phrase and, you know, one summer I would describe just personally is that it's, it's, you know, feeling the feeling of ownership, right. It's the feeling of ownership of your space and your name, your right to be somewhere, your right to exist. And that's a very sensitive subject around being black in America, right? The, you know, and I could go through a laundry list of whatever from police questioning me in my driveway, you know, whatever. So, you know, you have that that feeling. But I think the name part is there's there's a lot of times that you you feel like you're getting framed in a way to be palatable, right? You know, all right, you know, I don't have a lot of context for, say, Black America or in- intimacy, whether it's in my neighborhood or where I grew up or what, whatever it is. And so, you know, just like I was Eddie Murphy for a long time or I was whoever, like I, I couldn't be me. I couldn't have my name unless I grabbed it because too often there, there was this need to be more palatable. The monolithic thing would kind of come out and there was a, you know, they, there was a way to feel more comfortable by saying, I know you through the context of someone famous or someone. So there's always just been this battle of your name and, and you're owning your space and how often it's being translated in so many different and some other terms. Uh, so I think, you know, and Jackie Robinson, obviously as great as he is and was, Jackie Robinson was, he, you feel part of that through line, of course, because I, you know, I don't have a career if the door is not open. And so to make your connection to him, whether you're an all-star or not, or whether you're Jackie first, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you feel connected because you feel that experience front and center. There's Jackie was first. He's not last. He was not, you know, it didn't end with Jackie Robinson. It began. Uh, so I, as you say that, Doug, I just wonder, like, emotionally, how does it make you feel to have to grab your name? Like what works inside of you as you know you're doing that? Uh, you know, I, I think in, and some of that can be figurative, but it is, it's, it's a, you know, because you've had so many different moments where there's some slight of feeling like you don't belong here, you know, and whatever that is, it, it could be you know, clearly in my, I didn't even belong in my driveway when the police asked me if I was shoveling for money. I apparently I didn't even own my house. 
Uh, I didn't, you know, couldn't get in the cab without someone asking me that I should take the bus or whatever it is. Now, yeah, these are examples, and I certainly have many, you know, positive examples in life, but that there's enough of these that are so prevalent around your day-to-day existence. And even if it's not happening, your your lack of trust around it might happen uh, is one thing. And, and let alone, you know, you can go deep into the assault on voting rights and all these other things that have racialized implications. So you start to feel like, yeah, all right, I, I how do I navigate this? So I think, you know, I, you know, I, I was at that game and, I, you know, as you were as well and calling it. And I knew, I didn't know some of the history. I knew Giolito with Donaldson, but I, I didn't really know. But right away I sensed this is something's more going on than what's happening on the field. And, and clearly there was. You know, Doug, as you're saying that, like I, I'm very careful about comparing my experience to something like being pulled over by police because that's that's different, or somebody being shot is is even more different than this. And and you start to file and say like, are my indignities as important? And I do think the reason I I can empathize with Tim Anderson is, you know, I, I I've been on flights before where the flight attendant because I have a disability and I walk on the plane with a limp they'll ask me three times if I can handle the exit row door. Like that's not the same as being called something, but it makes me feel like I'm a non-human at that moment. I had, when I was working in the minor leagues, I had never met the program director of this radio station. And we had um, a board operator with a disability who was not very good at his job. And I started talking about this board operator and the program director said to me, well, you know, he's got this disability and you know how people like that are, they get really defensive and you can't tell him anything. Well, this guy had never met me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, we're, we're basically playing what's my line. You know, he doesn't know what I do and what I am. It's not the same though, but I do know the feeling of, you know, I just lashed out at somebody over something that they've done once, but it's happened to me a million times. And I think that dichotomy creates conflict. It's like a warm front and a cold front coming together and there's just a tornado in the middle because I've felt it a million times and so have you and, and so many people who feel different in the world, whoever that might be listening to this. And I just don't know that there's any way to get around the fact that this person's done it once and I've felt it a million times. I don't know what the best response is and I don't think that's the point. The point really is not the response or the act itself. It's simply, what is it that creates these stereotypes in people where they are left judging somebody in such a broad brushstroke way that they can't get around saying something like that? Yeah. Let me, um, let me ask you about something that Doug touched on. Um, it has to do with how hard it can be to do your job. You guys are both so eloquent in just talking about the big picture. Let me ask you about the small picture of calling the game live. I was listening to this. Uh, Yasmani Grandal decides to give Josh Donaldson an earful. Um, bench is clear. Uh, obviously, nobody knew then what Josh Donaldson had said to Tim Anderson earlier in that game. And but you can see just watching something is happening. So how challenging is that as a broadcaster 
when an incident like that busts out and you're trying to capture what's happening in that moment, but you're not 100% sure. Yeah, I think you go on what you know at that point. And, and we didn't know much. We just knew the reaction. And, and I, I've seen Tim react to things before. And my, to be totally honest, because of what Tim has dealt with and what, you know, when I see an, a reaction from him that is out of the ordinary, I tend to believe it was something deeper than, hey, I don't like you as a guy or I don't like you as a player or just random chirping because I don't think with everything Tim has gone through in his life I don't think he really responds that much to random chirping like I I something felt weird in my gut as as Doug was talking about but I'm not about to say that and frankly like I I don't think I don't think that's one of those scenarios where you're just not going to know until you find out after the game. So you go with what you know, you go on the pictures, you go based on what you're seeing. I try to read lips, but that's dangerous. I read lips and process it in my mind and maybe give me a little background for what I believe was said, but I'm not going to say it in a scenario like that. But for me, it's you go on what's in front of you and you also understand that later you might find out something uh stranger, worse, whatever. And, and I kind of get informed by the Danny Farquhar situation we had a couple of years ago. You know, you don't want to think the worst of a situation, but with Danny, with medics surrounding him, I was like, you know what? What if something really horrible happened here? We need to go on the facts, nothing beyond the facts, and then move forward. From there, I don't know what what was in your mind, Doug, as it happened. Well, you know, like you said, the information I had was the previous slide when he dove back into third and Donaldson collided. You know, I saw that okay, there's definitely a grudge. I knew the Lucas Giolito grudge with Donald. So, and I know Donaldson's history. So, all right, I figured there was something going on. But I think what sort of pushed it over. First of all, the way they walked, when they walked side by side by shortstop, that was more than a conversation. I mean, the exterior seem in enough control, but you know, you're physically kind of bumping up against it, that. But then Grandal, I said, no, nah, there's something else going on. And I don't know if it, it's how things went after the slide or so it wasn't clear, but then I saw the post game interviews and then I kind of, so I think Jay to Jason, to your point was maybe the next day I had to do the Sunday game. And now it was, it was really complicated. And, and we, we tried to touch on a little bit with John Chambi, but you know, with radio, you're calling what you see, you know, and so I, I actually didn't even try to go too deep. I mentioned something and because there was so much going on. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as we're talking about it too, you know, when, when I say that I don't want to talk about Josh Donaldson in the scenario, it's also in part because it, no matter how vile somebody is with their speech, you're also dealing with a human being there as well. And you're dealing with a person who's had a history and a lot of things that they've existed in and a culture they've existed in and everything that goes along with it. And, you know, watching that and knowing Josh a very little bit, I just immediately thought like right back to Tim because here's a guy that I know very well and I know how much he gives to the game. And, you know, as, as I'm talking about it, and if I had done the game on Sunday, 
I think I would have been careful not to over broadly paint Josh Donaldson, which I know would get some Sox fans angry because they want me to come and say, hey, he's a racist. He's a bad person. He can't. And like, I think he should be suspended. If Tim Anderson's going to get suspended for using the N-word as he has in the past, Josh Donaldson should be suspended as well. Like that, it's absolutely wrong behavior. But I also think, and this has happened to me, where if I over broadly paint somebody in response to what they've over broadly painted me as, I don't get a good result on that typically in my life. And so, you know, I don't know what good it does to verbally paint somebody in an overbroad way at that point either, because I, I know it's not the same because he's the one that instigated it by saying something that was intertwined racially. But I also just don't think you get the best result by doing that. I mean, in law school, we had a lot of conversations about what punishment is for. You want to stop that behavior? Do you simply want Hammurabi eye for an eye? Do you just want retribution? Like, what is the point of what we're doing to that person? And the hope is generally that you are going to change the behavior through education, through creating something better. And maybe that doesn't happen again. So we don't get in each other's lives ways anymore. So that's where I am on that. And it's a super complicated issue and not at all made for our social media era. And I'm not trying to give a pass to somebody who did something wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't really do any good in the long run for the best possible result in my experience. Yeah, well, what, I, what I'd add real quick, Jay, to that is, you know, baseball, because it's bigger than those two players on the field or any given moment, and you have a responsibility to the fans, what I think is important in what would be kind of a pivot from you know, the way you might handle controversy that you want to go away eventually is to embrace it and actually educate people and help people become more informed around the issue. That's the opportunity. And uh, and look, I've said for years, you know, sometimes to the clouds that baseball or the Players Alliance, they need a chief academic officer. They need someone to actually distill and help because the fans are sitting there just like I feel like, oh, that's a reminder of snow shoveling. Think about all the other fans on the south side of Chicago that are going through something right now because there's no information. So I, I do feel that that is the opportunity. Like Josh Donaldson, whatever, get three days, two days, seven, whatever. I don't know how material that is, but what is material is the opportunity you have with people that are open, and maybe Josh Donaldson is, open to learning something and that the game can help provide some good positive takeaways. That's where I think the game should really focus on not so much about, you know, like you said, the punitive side of it. Education is the opportunity. I totally agree, Doug. That is a, that's a great point. It really is. You, you know, we could talk about this issue for hours, hours. And I'm, it's really important that we had this conversation. I, I do want to ask you though, about these Peacock games <laughs> because it's something new and, um, it's something that you're such an important part of. Let's do this two ways. One is, you know, I, I'm a fan. I love waking up to baseball mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning. Uh, you're so good in this role, Jason. But 
I'm sure you're probably aware that players aren't huge fans of waking up <laughs> early or playing games like the Padres played last week that start at 8.30 a.m. in their market. Um, <laughs> what, sh what should we be thinking about games starting that early in the day and where it fits in baseball and where it's going? We have a notable trend of players getting days off <laughs> right on the day <laughs> in our game uh tim anderson was off week one manny machado was off week two uh yadi and albert were both <laughs> off allegedly sort of this week and then they weren't uh i actually think there's something fun about it for a bunch of players if they sit there and reflect now if you're over your last 20 and you're like wow, <laughs> nothing's going right here right like I can't get a hit and I can't even have hash browns at home. Like this is terrible. I think people actually really enjoy it. I think there's something fun. Like Alex Cora was talking to us about uh, the fact that he used to wake up in the morning. His dad founded the little league in Caguas and he used to wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and just go to the park all day. So I think there is a little bit of that reflection and there's some of that for players when they're like, man, this is early. But I also think that it's happened enough in the minors. I mean, when I was in oh, AAA, yeah. we have back-to-back -back games in Toledo <laughs> at 10.30 in the morning. SpongeBob is like <laughs> in your, your cerebral cortex, like directly inside of your face is SpongeBob. And so uh, I think it's been, it's been really fun for people uh, who are reflecting on it. If you're having a bad day already, it's probably not ideal. But I do think too, the players get home earlier, they have a day. So I, I think it's one of those where, you know, you talk about show and go in baseball where like the bus pulls up, you just go out onto the field and you play. I don't know, Doug, I, I feel like players, once they get out in that scenario, I think they'd even the most hardened guys would be like, "Yeah, this is kind of cool." Yeah, we used to have the drug awareness, get the dare program, and the red shirts, and yeah, that, yeah, and that's when we played some ten thirty games. I remember playing one in Birmingham uh, or Huntsville, one of these uh, Alabama towns, and uh, yeah, it was early. But then you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, it's like I can go to dinner." And, you know, so there was definitely some pluses, and then someone who played in Chicago, you know, the early days of all these day games. I, I like going to dinner, and I was a morning person anyway, so no problem. I, I joke I joke that we should get a, a sponsorship agreement with Big League Chew <laughs> and give out Big League Chew to everybody to make them feel like they're at the or league. Or IHOP, IHOP maybe, or Waffle, waffle <laughs> House. <laughs> All right, that's, that's what I was thinking. We need a breakfast <laughs> motif here somewhere. Um, hey, you know, the, the game you called this past Sunday, Pirates-Cardinals, Doug and I were you know, off air, we're thinking we must have a sixth sense for when we pick our guests for this show. Because last week we had Boog Shami join us and then he got to call Albert Pujols pitching. This week we asked you and then you got to call Yadi or Molina pitching. I don't know what is happening, but like that game turned into what we know around here as our kind of game. Let, let me ask you what I asked Boog last week. What went through your head? Is Yachty headed for the mound? Well, let me say, we've had three your kind of games. <laughs> yeah, we we, yeah absolutely. We had an umpire delay in week one and Alex Verdugo talking to us from center field like he's on his <laughs> cell phone with nobody else on the field for 20 minutes. 
Week two, we have a game that's like, it's going to be two hours, 15 minutes. We go 11 innings. Manny Machado's pinch hitting in the 10th when he thought he had the day off. And now this with Yachty, I mean, my first thought was Josh Van Meter. I, I don't I don't know if you heard me say it, but like, I don't know how many guys have been both parts of a battery in one month. <laughs> Josh Van Meter has been that, which is totally ridiculous because he pitched yesterday. And then Yachty comes out. And he, first of all, the there were two great, great, great things above all the other great things. Number one, Kisner behind the plate trying to frame <laughs> a pitch to get Yachty a strike is the most glorious tip your cap to the veteran you're possibly going to dream of. And then number two, I had said, I'm afraid with how quickly he was pitching that Yachty was going to balk if there was a runner on. And so the runner gets on first and Yachty comes set very harshly, right? Like he comes set to be very clear to the umpires that he has not balked. And he was working so quickly that Van Meter was at first, Jim Edmonds reacted to a base hit. And I was like, what's he doing? He goes, Van Meter didn't know the ball was being hit. Josh Van Meter peeled away from first from basically foul territory. It was ridiculous. The whole thing was ridiculous. We interviewed Albert in the third. He homered twice. He wasn't supposed to play. Right. Police sack called his pinch homer, too. We got to give him credit for that. He really did. I mean, what are we doing? And also, all right, again, let's think about it from your perspective. You had not called a game involving the Cardinals and or Pirates all year, pretty sure, right? Then you call yeah. a game in which the Cardinals' starting pitcher, Stephen Matz, is gone after four <laughs> pitches. Albert hits a pinch homer, and then homers again off a position <laughs> player, and two position players pitch, and one of them is Yachty. And I don't know what you prepared for or what you thought might happen <laughs> right. in that game. I'm pretty sure none of that was on your list, right? So was that hours of preparation down the garbage disposal? Well, I had, you know, I, I had some, uh, like our producer knows somebody near Ward Melville where Stephen Matz grew up and had texted the person about Matz. And evidently Stephen Matz has a sandwich named after him at some deli nearby. And like we had it and we were not like a picture of it, but we had the information. I had looked up because I know Ward Melville is a lacrosse powerhouse. Now I'm just dumping all the prep. I didn't get the views on your podcast. But like they're a, they're a lacrosse powerhouse. So I looked up who went there. Mick Foley, the professional wrestler, went to the same high school as Steven Matz, which I think is super interesting. And I was going to go there and, you know, ask. But four pitches in, literally Ollie Marmol before the game, I said, like, who would, who would you stay away from? And he listed basically most of his guys he didn't want to pitch. He literally said to us after distilling his bullpen situation, he goes, I guess, let's go Mats, huh? <laughs> And then he's out after four pitches. You're like, dude, Ollie, maybe you should think about that entrepreneurship thing that you were talking to us about before the game, because that's easier to plan than this oh stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah, we had that. Um, so, yeah, and calling Pujols, we were just – I was trying to figure out, like, or how do we even give some context? But in the end, it looked like, well, Yadier Molina and Robert Pujols, like, went back to childhood. I think that was the fun part about it. Yes. And so I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed like, eh, that's what I would probably, that's what you'd look like, right? If you just had the pitch in a big league game. 
I just watch the facial expressions. Like, I think you're the same way. Like you watch the facial expressions and you watch the guys in the dugout. And Albert had just told us in the third inning, fortunately, that that Friday before the Sunday game you're talking about last week, Albert and Yachty were just like playing catch just in case the situation <laughs> arose. Nine days later, they've both done it. Like, what are we, what? Oh, yeah, it's like a, it's, it's like an asterisk on their Hall of Fame plaque, you know. And and pitched a yes. couple innings. <laughs> yes. I want to remind you that Yadi was brought into a game where his team was a winning and b pitching a shutout. <laughs> I'll have more on this I, later. Yeah, I, but what? I just for fun said in like the second inning to to Edmonds and Bob Walk. I said just in case, are you in favor of position players pitching when their team is up? And Edmonds was like, well, you know, we just had that. And, and I knew that, but like, it, I, I wanted to see where they were on it because it kind of had that feeling yeah. of that game. I didn't know <laughs> two of them were going to pitch. And then Yachty was going to be one of them. I mean, you th think about it for Andrew yeah. Kisner, right? Like, he's the guy that caught Yachty from now on. He could open a <laughs> restaurant based on that. These t-shirts, I caught Yachty. What have you done with your life? Right, yeah. right. It'll have to be a, a restaurant that serves <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> <For> sure. <laughs> That's the important thing here. Um, hey, be before I let you go, uh, you had a chance to join our friend Adnan Verk recently on High Heat, a show I was also on that day, incidentally, so it was all Jason TV. <laughs> but only one of us did an impression of Sean McDonough. I've heard you do it before. I love it. I need to hear Sean. it again. Can, can you do your Sean McDonough for us? Jason, I'm not sure. I... <laughs> Jason, here's the thing. With your name, it's all the time why instead of sometimes why. Because I hate you. No, I I there you go. Is that enough for you? Delighted to have you, Jay Billis, Bill Raftery. Yeah, I, you know what? Actually I would like to hear uh Billis and Raftery. I would. Oh, I can't I don't I don't do them. Oh, their whole bit was that they in they interrupted they interrupted Sean's story. They enjoyed that. The, Especially during one, six overtime games. Yes. Yeah, the one, the one other one that I do that I don't know, like I, uh, I do oh, well, the uh, the Sports Center voiceover guy, Chris Kelly. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, let's do. Oh, let, like, let's hear uh, that one. Sports Center brought to you by Domino's. <laughs> that sort of thing. I like to do it where he gets a read that he's not expecting. So like. The Budweiser Hot Seed, brought to you by Stella Artois. <laughs> what? Why? It <laughs> is so good. I've never heard you do that one before. That was great. Um, and then, you know, the, the one that you did as part of learning to be a become a broadcaster was you do Hawk Harrelson, <laughs> the guy who succeeded in the booth. Can you put that one on the board? I, d I did. I did as a kid. Like, I don't think I have the timber anymore. But my favorite, my favorite Hawk one is um, when when somebody used to like smoke a ball down the line, like Mike Aldretti <laughs> hits the ball down the line and Hawks like the bases are loaded for Oakland. And he's like, get foul. <laughs> here, here comes McGuire. Here comes Sierra. It's three up. <laughs> and like immediately, he's like, there's like such optimism. Get foul. <laughs> Didn't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. He, he, 
Hawk, Hawk could get loud, but he couldn't actually will this stuff yeah. to happen. Very frustrating <laughs> for him. He almost could, though. He almost could. I mean, that, that, and then, and then when it's like, get fair, it won't. Right size, wrong shape. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, last time you were here, you promised me you'd record play-by-play of me loading the dishwasher. Uh, big topic oh, yeah. discussion in our house. We we never made that happen. I just need to make sure that that offer is still good. Oh, it absolutely oh, is yeah. still good. Yeah. I'm very happy. I can even do it as Sean McDonough <laughs> as the forks go into the dishwasher filled with macaroni and cheese <laughs> from leftover dinner. <laughs> okay. I, I'll need all that. Plus, I, I'm going to need some commentary on how good I obviously am at loading the dishwasher because that is a topic in my yeah. house. It's all I'm going to say. <laughs> my wife might be listening to what comes next. <laughs> Jason Stark, at least a silver medal winner in loading the dishwasher. Play his anthem. <laughs> okay. All right, this will work. Uh, Jason, look, we could talk to you all day, man, but you're a busy man. We've already taken up way too much of your time already. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for all the insight into what happened in New York over the weekend. Please come back and visit us again Absolutely. in Starkville. I told you, I, you have no yes. choice. I know like five places on earth and I can drive there, so I'm in. Okay, just Get how that we like of parking it. space. So much. We got them one. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, Doug, it's that time again. Time for the world-famous listener trivia segment, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in the show. We'll tell you how you can be part of this segment in just a few minutes. But first, let's welcome in a man who has stumped us before and now returns to stump us again. It's our friend Paul Moringer. Paul. You enjoyed stumping us so much the first time. You couldn't wait to do that again? Yep. Hello. I'm here. Yep. And I got a good one for you this week involving our, <laughs> involving our friend, Mr. Pujols. So. Okay. That's what we asked for. We asked for Albert 
Pujols inspired trivia. Paul was good. Um, uh, one more thing before we get to your question, Paul. Uh, I've already warned you about this. Uh, we want to renegotiate. Um, we decided a couple weeks ago we need to stop picking questions uh, where we needed like four or five answers, and then we keep picking questions <laughs> where we need to get four or five answers. So I'll let you ask your original question. Then uh, we want to propose a revision that's all about what's good for us, because frankly, <laughs> we just said one. we're desperate to get one right. Is that all right? Yep, that's fine. Why don't you read us the original version of the question, uh, ask for Albert Pujols' inspired questions. Our friend Paul followed instructions. A doubles machine, Albert Pujols is one of only five players in Major League history with at least three seasons of 50 or more doubles. Who are the other four? And I will give you a hint. Three of them are in the Hall of Fame. Mm. All right. This is a great question. Uh, it's also almost an impossible question. As I began to contemplate the answer, it occurred to me, um, I had no idea how many doubles Nap Lajouet once got in like 1902. So, Paul, here is my proposal. Yeah. Can we do some kind of cutoff here where we don't need to go back that far? Or maybe we could, if we're really lucky, we can cut the answer where we don't need to get four answers? Mm, interesting. Well, what do you think? Well, I can give you two of them. So mm. I'll tell you that there none of the answers involve Napoleon Lajoie or Ty Cobb or Roger Connor or Dan Bruthers or anyone that goes way, way back then. If you keep, if you cut it off at 1920, it's still the same four answers. But if you want to go really? to 1961 as the cutoff, the expansion era, the number of answers reduces to just one player. Oh, wow. That, that's hmm. interesting. So right. one... Okay, so we need, and, so and we, I'll, we need and to I'll give you one more hint. We, the one player who's left, the expansion era player, he is not in the Hall of Fame. Okay, wow. All right, so what what do we want to do? Um, I will say, no Jason, that <laughs> love the audio portion of this segment, the uh, broadcast clip. And if you do 1961 on, the audio clip will not fit the answer. We could play it anyway. Though. I just wanted to get that out there. Wow. So, Doug. That this seems like we we've created a problem. Yeah. What's best for us is not what is best for the mayor. Yes. What do yeah, we do? Yeah, well, yeah, I think we have to try at least to get all of them. I think the um, you know we could get the judges decide if you know getting three or one is actually oh I, okay. Here's what we do: we try to guess them all, but then if if we just get the last one, the non-Hall of Famer, we declare we got it we right. We can declare a lot of things. And I, I like that. I, I can go with that. because <laughs> yeah. I, okay, I, What th- I like about this question is the more modern players are actually the tougher ones. Yeah. Okay. Right. I don't know if that's good or bad, know. but um, all right, let's, all right. So we have, we, we know that three of these are between 1920 and 1960. Oof. And then the other is somewhere between 1961 and now. So why don't we split them up? Let's do the early ones yep. first. Um, all right, so three Hall of Famers. Stan Musial hit a million doubles. Albert's been chasing him in total bases. He feels like he should mm-hmm. be one. Lou Gehrig boy, just blew up the stat sheets every year. Absolutely. He feels like he should be yep. one, but maybe I'm... Um, feels good. I don't know. Uh, Rogers Hornsby. Most of his career came after 1920. Yeah, he was playing for the a Cubs. Of, and he was good a, when he got old, too. That's the thing about Hornsby. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of doubles yeah. there. Mel Ott Oof. had a gazillion extra base oh. hits. Um, 
Paul's ruled that Ty Cobb, who already played after 1920, so that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, D- Doug, what do you think? Any you have any names that I missed I mean, among the I'm thinking early? Yankees. You know, I don't know right out of the gate. I mean, I don't know. Well, let's see. DiMaggio? Yeah, these kind of cats. Mantle? Yeah. Any of the single-digit number guys that they had a lot of doubles, didn't they? DiMaggio, you know. I, yeah, I don't, it's not I'm saying that. But I'm saying that just for probability purposes, not for evidence. But oh, so I, you, yeah, I like Stan no the idea. man. I definitely like Stan. I mean, Lou Gehrig was just a beast. And it's it's fitting given we're about to, uh, in June, we have the ALS um, celebration. I don't know if celebration is yeah, the right word. Day recognition and, uh, and honoring of uh, his legacy and, and those that suffer from that awful disease. So I think that's... Yeah, I think Lou Gehrig could be interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, and since since uh, Paul's already said he, he like these three are just kind of for exhibition purposes. Yeah, <laughs> we don't care uh, what names we well, fire I, I off mean, like, of those three. Hornsby, so fifty you wanna, doubles. You that's do a Hornsby, lot of doubles. even though he. Well, I, I probably need a ruling here. Mm-hmm. Um, if a guy's career started before 1920, does that make him ineligible? Paul? Um, I'll say this. Um. He's he's his career did start before 1920, but all three of but you could get all threes. He would still be over 50, even if you just counted his stats after 1920. Wow, that's a good player. Uh, okay, so that sounds like Hornsby was a yes. Yeah, I like Rogers Hornsby. I, he, he worded that pretty carefully. All right, so we, we, we'll just do for those three: Musial, Gehrig, Hornsby. Yeah, that sounds yeah, beautiful. Be right, but what? Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So now, the 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 one guy left from the expansion era mm. not a hall of famer and see i i thought of three names two of them were hall of famers paul molitor mm. and george brett yeah. but they're they're out so yeah. i think the answer yes. the guy who hit a lot of yep. doubles not in the yep. hall is my all-time go-to trivia yes. answer the answer to every question Absolutely. todd helton not <laughs> You know, Paul said that the most recent guy was the hardest. Yeah. I have a feeling Todd Helton did this. He hit a million doubles. Of had to. What do you, yeah. what do you I think? mean, I like it. Um, Albert Bell, how many doubles? He had, I know he had the 50 double season. He, he, he did. I don't know if he, but you need yeah, three. Of three them. is a lot, though. Ooh, Joey Bell, Albert Bell. Yeah, I mean, Helton, he just, he just hit everything. I, yeah, I mean, I, I like that guess. I like that guess. That was that was. You can never go wrong. Yeah. guessing or, Todd Helton. That's my motto in life. Of course. So, so, yeah, yeah. I, all right, I have no idea if we've even narrowed this down to a, a workable list. Good but list. Well, let's good get it list. over with. Uh, Paul, yeah, I think so. Okay, Paul, is there any chance it is Stan Musial, Lou Gehrig, Rogers Hornsby in the entertainment portion <laughs> of the answer and Todd Helton in the one that really is going to determine whether we're right or wrong. So I will say one of your three guesses for the Hall of Famers is correct. Stan Musial is one of them. Um, All right. The okay. guy I was actually kind of expecting you to get and where I was trying to drop the hint with the 1920 category, the all-time leader in the category, Tris Speaker. He Tris has, Rodgers, I think yeah. he has five. I thought he's... Four of them came after 1920. Wow, amazing. I thought, I thought he was earlier, but you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. had a ton of doubles for Cleveland. And the <laughs> third, did. which I kind of like the Garrig answer, I kind of like where you were thinking 
you had to think kind of for this one you kind of had to think big ballparks where guys could mm. a big time gap hitter get a lot of hits to fall in and i think that's why the third answer is paul wainer oh yeah wainer yeah wow Okay. Never, yeah, he was, never thought of it for on one second. Old fantasy team. <laughs> all, right. all right, let's get down to the drama of this, though. What about so, the modern players? Helton, I think, is a good guess, and I will be honest with this. I would not get this answer. It sounds. Ooh, it sounds. It's not like, like Brad Fulmer. Don't tell me it's like Brad Fulmer. No, it's it's a little better than him. The it does, but I was He's stunned when I looked at this answer. Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts. What? Wow, my mother-in-law's favorite player, Brian nice. Roberts. What I do you know? It. That's a good question, though. I like it. Uh, he had. Yeah. All right, I, I'm. I'm always celebrating that we don't. We have. We need more questions that don't yes. have Hall of Fame answers. He I, had. I think we. He had. Really, he I think went, we need to do that. He well, won the American show League twice yeah. in doubles. Once in 2004 with right. 50. Once in 2009 with 56, and he had a 51 double season in 2008. Wow. The, the 56 double season, man. That it looked like he had a chance to uh, break the. The record, wow. right? At one point, the 60, oh, 63 is the look him up. Yeah, but glad we got. I'm glad we got excited about that. Um, now, I remember I once told Brian Roberts he was my mother-in-law's favorite favorite player, and he said, "I don't know why it is. I'm every grandmother's favorite player." <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't know if that's true, but I, that that was our exchange. At any rate, uh, that's another one that we got wrong. Yeah, wow, uh, that's a Doug, lot of we need to take a new approach to this. Yeah. We keep picking questions that are way too hard. Uh, I think we need well, e- easier questions my, or we need more here's hints. Here's my theory. Or... My theory is that we the ones that we can get get eliminated because people answer it on Twitter. So I think we oh. end up – and nobody wants to touch this question on Twitter, right? So, unless they look it up. <laughs> so I, I think that that's the challenge. So we're going to have to figure out a, a different screening system so we can get – like that Phillies question, I would have gotten that one or at least had good guesses. And uh, that's what, that's my theory. Okay, whatever. Whether we get the question right or wrong, remember when we used to get them right? The highlight of this segment never involves us anyway. It's the part you've been waiting for, the part where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another great play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got? I have the, the one of the most famous doubles as far as stats go, I think, and it's actually a clip that we I think we used one time before. Uh, Stan Musial, the one guy you got right, yeah. the audio clip, his 3,000th hit happened to be a double. Here's the pitch. Langer, there it is! Into left field! Hit number 3,000! A run is scored! Musial around first, on his way to second with a double! The first man since Paul Wiener in 1942. Stan Musial has just gotten his 3,000th hit. And how about him mentioning Wiener in the call? Oh my God! Good wow. work by Harry. That's like Harry. a move right there. It could be. It might be. It <laughs> is Harry. Paul, tremendous question, man. Um, uh, even though we got it wrong, uh, please come back and hit us up with another one sometime. Oh, no problem. Okay? I could, you could have me on every week if you wanted to. Honestly, but I, I don't. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give other people. Yeah, careful channels. what you wish for. We, yeah, we need a we need a security <laughs> guard at Starkville. So you know you can apply for that job. That'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. All right, man. Hey, thanks thank so much. You. Thank you for having me thanks, on. Well. Take care. Strange but true. Doug, I love. 
our little strange but true theme. It's like there's nothing like having your own little soundtrack of weirdness and wildness. This is such impressive production work by our mayor, Mayor Tim <laughs> McMaster. But I can't tell if you're I, mocking me or if you're serious when you keep bringing up this. No, okay. All right, no, I just want to make no, sure. I'm very, I, 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 the, more, the more we go along, the more I love it. I'm being I'm being as serious as I can get about something this ridiculous. But, but anyway, I digress because the music means it's a, it's time for another edition of the Strange but True, uh, where we look back and laugh at something weird that went on in the last week of baseball. And you know, Doug and I were talking about this. It couldn't be more obvious where to go with this segment this week. Um, but the strangest part of all is the Jason Benetti connection. We kind of alluded to this. We asked him to be the guest this week. And then both the Tim Anderson, Josh Donaldson thing and our Strange But True topic busted out in games he was calling over two days in two different ballparks. Do you believe in destiny, Doug? I think I do now. Uh, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Isn't that the line? I thought that was... Yeah, okay. It is yeah, the line, yeah. Just, just double checking. Yeah, uh, okay, that's that's our way of saying uh, this week's Strange But True Classic busted out Sunday in Pittsburgh when a guy headed for the mound who was part of one of the most f- historic batteries in baseball history, just usually not the pitching part. 2,172 games, 8,376 plate appearances, and for the first time, Yadier Molina is on a major league mound. <laughs> and then you get Albert Pujols to warm you up. Look, there's his first pitch. <laughs> He's getting it and throwing it, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's just like watching Wade Miley. Right center field, and <laughs> oh. Bader just oh. couldn't make the catch. He wanted to take it for Molina. Instead, it's up and out of here. Hit in the air, short left center field. Bader's got this one, and that is that. Well, gentlemen, we saw a lot of stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> Did they ever? All right, so that was Yadier Molina pitching for the first time in his career. I looked this up uh, today. 2,133 games caught, but only one game pitched. And I have a couple of fun tidbits on this, Doug. I know that'll shock you, right? Um, first off, just last weekend, uh, which we talked about uh, ad nauseum, it was Albert Pujols who pitched for the first time in a game, the Cardinals won, even though Albert gave up four runs. <laughs> they still won. Yeah. So, of course, I did a little research on that. I told you last week I'd save it for this week. I can only find one other true position player who was brought into a game in relief with his team winning, but then gave up that many runs and his team still won. And the other guy was Babe Ruth in 1921. And he gave up six runs that Ooh. day. Uh, okay, so then he did, he, Babe Ruth pitches. Nobody does that again for a century. Mm. Then Albert does it. And then on Sunday, Yachty comes in and pitches and also gives up four <laughs> runs. So it happens zero times in a hundred years, and now it happens in two Cardinals <laughs> games, two Sundays in a row. Doug, that's why this segment of exists. Course. This is this is our <laughs> destiny, like you said. Oh no, that's what I said oh, that no. about the yeah U.S. Team USA. So, but yes, 
you know, I'm looking for stuff like this. And I, th I feel like it's happening more and more. You know, I, I, it's just more and more crazy. I don't know if it's all the rule change, seventh inning, all the things, the ghost runners and all. I think we're getting more opportunities for madness. And I, I think it's great. I, I, it's keeping me in business, that's for sure. And here's the other thing with Yachty. Uh, Cardinals, as I mentioned with Jason Benetti, the Cardinals didn't just bring in Yachty while they were winning. They brought him in to pitch in the ninth <laughs> inning while they were working on a shutout. And I had to do this this morning, but I could only find three true position players, meaning like if you pitch 10 times or 20 times or 30 times, I don't care what it says on baseball reference, you're, you're not a position player. You know, this is like you've lost true position player. But I can only find three true position players in the modern era. Didn't really pitch at all that year just then. They were brought in while their team had a shutout going in the late innings. Uh, one was the babe in that game in 1921. It was the only time he pitched that year. Um, it didn't go well. Okay, he, he comes in in the eighth inning. They're pitching a shutout, up 6 nothing. Babe comes in, gives up six in the eighth, <laughs> blows the lead, and then, because he's Babe Ruth, they leave him in the game until they yeah, win that game in the 11th inning. Did he win inning. it himself? I, I would imagine. <laughs> he did. He got the win. Uh, so that was one. The second guy, this just happened a few years ago, was Russell Martin. This was August, 20, August 27th, 2019, uh, up 9-0. Dave Roberts brings him in, and he actually completes the shutout, uh, gets to his shutout ninth inning. So Babe Ruth, Russell Martin, and then the third was Yachty, who definitely did not complete the <laughs> shutout, but at least did not blow the lead, unlike that Bum, the yeah. babe. So great work by Yachty. Doug, here's the question. Who would you bring in in a big spot to close out a win? Yachty, Albert, or the babe? Uh, I'm going to go the babe. Um, yeah, I think I'll go babe. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll bet my time. Because yeah, worst, well, I guess worst case, like Albert, you know, well, the younger babe, he could come in and then if he messes it up, he just goes to bat like Otani, goes deep and wins the ball game. So, I, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I mean, I think Yachty wanted to – you talk about being part of a battery, the positive and the negative. Uh, I don't know which one he is. If you're the catcher, is that the positive end or the negative? I'm going to say it's a negative end. So I think he wanted to feel that. <laughs> he wanted to be a complete battery, and now he understands the feeling. Just like Pujols understands what it's like to give up a bunch of home runs for all the ones he hit off of pitchers. So this is a this is creating a lot of empathy. I think it's great for the game. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Yachty has the biggest disparity between his catcher's ERA and his pitcher's Ooh, ERA. Yeah. I'll get Check right on out. that, Doug. Check it out. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. We will be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read more on stuff like this, on Albert pitching, on Yachty pitching, any of these strange but true moments that make baseball great, or you just want to read any of the other fantastic writing in The Athletic, let me tell you how you could do that. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for a mere $1 a month for the next six months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick some lucky listener 
to ask us a trivia question so we can prove, once again, there's almost no trivia that we can't get wrong. So how would you join us? Well, you could always send us an email. You can email us a question at Starkville at theathletic.com. Or is, there's always the Twitter Avenue. Doug Glanville resides on the Twitter Avenue. Doug, what's your address on the Twitter I'm Avenue? I'm going to call it a boulevard instead of Avenue. But yes, it is at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Hit me up. Twitter Boulevard. Yeah. How about Twitter Parkway? That's where you'd find me at Jason S-T-J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS, and do not answer other people's yeah. questions. Had a little outbreak of this again this week. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jason Benetti for joining us. Thanks to Paul Moringer for the fun trivia yeah. question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim yes. McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow it is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday with a very special show still in formulation. On Starkville. Starkville. <laughs>